everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tier 1 Podcast. Today on the show we're joined by a man who has lived in both America and Thailand. He's actually had a mention on the show before on Ed uh, Ed's podcast. I can't remember which number it is, but if Ed wasn't in the Marines, he said he would be working uh, here in Bangkok at a place called Flash Fitness, which is a cool uh, secret type gym uh, here in the city. You kind of only hear about it if you've been like referred by someone who's already there. And um, just really cool guy. He's uh, authored some books, and he was nice enough to uh, welcome me down to the gym and done a few workouts together, and uh, even invited me out for his birthday party uh, last uh, Friday, I think it was, or Saturday. And um, yeah, so it was um, great to meet up with him and do this podcast. I, I really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. Um, if you can leave a review on Facebook or iTunes, it's always really appreciated. And uh, without any further ado, here's Jeff and the show. Okay, Jeff. Uh, welcome to the C1 podcast. <laughs> Thanks. It's, it's cool. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for having me. We're currently in, in Bangkok in uh, Jeff's gym, Flash Fitness. Um, really cool place, actually. Uh, it's ah, like a, thank you. I was trying to describe it to a, a friend today. Um, it's like a secret gym, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, like, it's really kind of hidden away. There's no signage anywhere. Yeah. Uh, no advertising. It's nobody would know it's here. Yeah, know? it's like, a bit like um, if you ever been to like a secret bar, like where the, like it's just kind of um, I don't know, like through a phone box or something, and then, yeah. you get, and then there's just a bar inside. <laughs> People, I mean, they don't even know. They come up to the building, and they, we always know they're just gonna be walking around outside. Like, is it around here? Is it around here? And then they start calling us. Like, I don't see it. <laughs> no, I think it's a really cool method. Really, I'm sure we'll go into it, but. Um, Thank you for, um, well, our session that we did last week yeah, and, and today. Yeah, you did a good job. You did really well with it. No, I think it's a really cool place you've got here, and I'd love to, well, do this with you and, and yeah. hear loads about Thanks, it. So, Thanks. But as I say, we, we usually start these off by just finding out a bit more about you and, and where you grew up and stuff. So you're from America. I yeah, from and, um, California. Yeah, yeah from and um, tell me about where you grew up and, and what uh, it was like. You know, I grew up in a place called Pleasanton. It was, it's very... Uh, just like the name is Pleasanton, you know, mm. it's, it's how you would imagine it. It's very suburban, uh, you know, not a whole lot to worry about growing up over there. It's uh, a great place to grow up, I mean, I've got to say, but but yeah, I grew up Northern California is what it is over there. Uh, grew up just really into sports and... Mm. Uh, is there quite a sporting yeah. culture out there? Uh, you know, soccer. You know, so I know a lot of people don't think of America as being a, or as you guys would say, a football kind of culture. Yeah. But the Bay Area and where we're from, yeah, there's, soccer is really big. Okay. Uh, but yeah, sports in general are really bad. We have some of the best weather on the planet mm. over there. So, I mean, you, you have sports year round. So as kids, I mean, it was just normal that, you know, in the winter time we're outside and we're playing soccer and American football. And then, you know, weather starts warming up and everybody's playing uh, baseball outside and so, right. uh, basketball. I mean, everything it was year round, really. You so know? you're a pretty sporty kid, yeah. Yeah, all my friends were. Mm. It's kind of and did you? How we grew up. Did you have a big family growing up? Did you have brothers uh, and sisters? Or two little brothers. Yeah. Uh, two and a half and five years younger than me. Okay. You know, uh, yeah, and yeah, very typical kind of suburban family life. I mm-hmm. think you know, in Pleasanton. Uh, you know, you grow up. I don't think you realize like how. Uh, lucky you are until after you start traveling around a little bit right. and then you look back at like your childhood and you know just maybe things that you have and how you grew up and y- you know uh, 
yeah, it's not really until you get older that you start looking back and be like, hey, you know what? I had a pretty good childhood. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Do you have a kind of a favorite memory from your time growing up in Pudlington? Uh, you know, when it comes to favorite memories, I mean, there's a lot, but I mean, it, like with the friends and stuff like that, I mean, it's definitely sport. You know, when I think of my childhood, that's what I think of. I think of sports. I mean, right. just, we were outside every day and we played, you know, our weekends were doubleheader baseball games and, uh, you know, soccer parades and. Uh, you know, my parents are really good at all that kind of stuff too, getting us to all the practices and mm. being at all the games on the weekend. And uh, yeah, so when I think of my tell you know, just wiffle ball games outside with all my friends and mud football at the park, you right. know, where everybody's tackling each other and yeah. coming home and getting yelled at, you know, just for you, know, you can't come inside because you're just covered in mud, <laughs> yeah. you know, stuff like that. Yeah, that's. And what did you want to be was, when you were a kid like growing up? Oh, baseball player. Yeah, doubt. Was that, that, thing, was, that was, was that yeah. was what I wanted to be from. Yeah. Uh, everything was baseball growing up. A batting cage in the backyard. It was oh, uh, wow. I mean everything was baseball growing up. Uh, even still to this day. I mean I love baseball. Mm. It's uh, yeah, so yeah, you, you know you just uh, you, I had myself convinced, you know, I'm going to play professional baseball. That's, you know, yeah. like, okay, I just work hard, you know, mm. I'm going to do it. So I uh, kept waiting for a growth spurt. You know, I'm going to be a 6'1", 200-pound, <laughs> third baseman, you know, with a beautiful swing. You know, but, uh, yeah, but life <laughs> gives you like that, right? <laughs> life gives you what it wants to give you, you know. So apparently I wasn't as talented as yeah. I thought I was, you know. So See, you're the author of... Um, Two books now working on a third. Yeah, yeah. Were you yeah. quite a, a good kid in school? Like, were you definitely uh, not? You know, I was academic. I was a C plus student. I would say I just mm. uh, I just was not interested. I mean, uh, the amount of days that I skipped school to go hit baseball. I mean, that's really what it was. I mean, we that's skipped school and we went and we hit baseballs. Yeah. You know, so or uh, yeah. So I mean, if English, anything had anything to do with writing. I mean, I would get an an A. I don't ever remember not getting an A in in an English class Uh, or, you know, reading comprehension, stuff like that. Mm. But when it came to math and science and I just had absolutely zero interest, you know, so especially by the time you get to high school, then you get all those classes that, you know, they just they just want to make you be somewhere, you know, so the auto shop and wood shop. And, you know, so for us, auto shop was. Yeah, that's when we went down the street and had pancakes at Nation's Hamburgers, you know, because <laughs> they opened early for breakfast. It was like, we can go to auto shop and change oil or we're we going to go have a stack of pancakes. Let's get a stack of pancakes. And, you know, so I had a, a good friend in that class. And his dad is like one of the most well-known mechanics in the world. He was like the, uh, he was on ESPN, like, you know, he was the head mechanic of the Silver Bullet drag racing. Wow. I mean, the guy was everything. And so his name was Rusty, his, his son. Rusty and I were close, and we had a, a class together, auto shop. And we got a D in auto shop because we were never there. And I remember his dad just like freaking out. How do you get a D? I travel the world as a mechanic. My son gets a D in auto shop. You know, so yeah, so I wasn't the best student. And I think I just hadn't found what I was really, you know. I mean, my interest was sports at the mm. time. And, you, uh, and how did and, that develop in the coming years? Like, so uh, where did you go? Yeah, it went to. Uh, 
university for I didn't finish at university either. Mm. Again, with the writing classes, I did great. There was a creative writing stuff that I did well with, and I remember my uh, my writing teacher at the time, Mr. Fred Gant. You know, told me like, you know, you really ought to be a writer. You know, you have what it takes to be a writer. And you know, he, you remind me of this. He told me some Italian writer. I don't remember the guy's name. He's like, hey, you got the same style. You write like him. You know, you don't know it yet, but you're a writer. And you know, my friends in the class, you know, were uh, baseball players. You know, they're yeah. like, oh, you know, just uh, <laughs> he loves you. He loves you. <clears throat> but I didn't think much about writing or doing anything like that for a long time after that. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I knew Did it was something just... I enjoyed, but I did it, you know, just in notebooks at home. I wrote every day, still write mm. every day. You know, so uh, yeah, it's just something I've always enjoyed. But it was more as a as an outlet. You know, just a just to get stuff out of the brain, yeah. you know, and, and, and the, onto paper. Yeah. So what, what did you study at university? Uh, criminal justice. Mm. So I thought like, well, you know, if the whole baseball thing doesn't work out, I'll, I'll uh, be a cop, which I'm so glad I didn't end up doing. I mean, some of the classes were great. We had a, a, a private investigation class. Well, it wasn't private, just an investigation mm. class. You know, they went over things like, uh, how to interrogate people and what to look for when you interrogate people. Yeah. You know, what to, you know, going about crime scenes and, you know, stuff like that was really interesting. I definitely enjoyed all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, and our, one of our teachers, you know, former police officer and, uh, you know, you, you, we did a lot of like ride alongs and things like that with yeah. the local police and, about halfway through that, I kind of realized, like, I'm going down the wrong path. This is not for me. You know, it was just a, it's a different culture. You know, I just felt like the culture didn't, you know, once they started talking about, I mean, I got so much respect for, like, what they do and stuff like that. It's just, uh, you know, when you look at the alcoholism rates and the divorce rates and the depression rates and uh, I had a lot of friends who were police officers and, you know, they do kind of end up in this isolated click you know uh always on edge you know you go out to a bar and you're with a couple of police friends and you know they're all facing you know the door and you know they're they're, they're eyeing everybody they're judging <laughs> each person like okay we gotta keep it you know there's you, you kind of realize you know when it comes to work if you're gonna it, it's hard not to take your work home you know mm. so and they, you know even on some of the ride-alongs when you, when you just kind of you just see stuff that's like yeah, I don't want to do this every day you know so most of the most of the ride-alongs you know you end up going to drunk people's homes where you know they're beating their wife or yelling at their wife or and kids and uh, or just having arguments and you're just going there like breaking up arguments and you know it just you know again I don't know I don't think I'll have some of these people like listen to this but you know uh, even when it comes to a sense of humor, you know, so I worked out with a bunch of them, a bunch of police officers, and this particular group were narcotics officers in right. Oakland, California. So, I mean, some pretty rough areas, you know, so uh, there were four of us that worked out together at the time. We were doing a lot of powerlifting stuff at the time. And, uh, you know, they would just be working out and they would just have these, uh, oh, you know, the, I remember one time they were talking about this lady who had gotten shot up and they knew who she was. She had informed them before on some stuff and, you know, kind of helped them with some of their work. Uh, 
And then one day they showed up, somebody shot her up and, you know, maybe just the way that they were, I understand it's part of their defense mechanism where they, you know, they have to kind of use humor to kind of separate themselves from yeah. the realities of the, the stuff that the they were seeing that. every day. Yeah, yeah. You know, but as somebody who wasn't a police officer and, you know, kind of listening in on all this and the jokes, you know, that was when it hit me. Like, I'm so glad I did not get into this career. I mean, if this is kind of who it makes you, Mm. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, again, so much respect for what they do. It's hard. Some people have to do that. But, uh, yeah, it's tough stuff. It just uh, you wanted something different. Yeah, definitely wanted something different. Yeah. So where did that so, take you? You left university. Uh, left university. Uh, I'd moved to Arizona at the time with my ex girlfriend, and what we did is we uh, we were waiting tables, and we started a business. I've got a friend who's actually moving out to Thailand. We started a business with him. So you know, we already we were thinking entrepreneur, entrepreneur. Yeah. You know. So but we opened up. This is when the internet. I mean. I'm old, you know. This is when the internet was just really starting to take off. So we opened up a business called MenuView.com, and our idea was, okay, we're going to go all these different cities, and we're going to go to the restaurants. We're going to put them on the internet. Back then, no restaurants were on the internet. Mm. They, they didn't see a reason to be. So we created a website, and it was six cities. It was Phoenix, because that's where we were living at the time. So it was Phoenix. Uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, and Las Vegas. Did I say Las Vegas already? No. Six. Okay, yeah, yeah. Las Vegas. Uh, so we would we would take their their menu. We'd scan it. We'd put it on the internet. We'd put directions how to get to the place. You know things like dress codes, uh, and you know if they had any kind of. Uh, sales material like back then it was like the Zagat surveys you know if they had good write-ups in newspapers we'd put all that kind of stuff in there testimonials so that's what we did for a while you know we we put everything we could into it all of us were using our credit cards to advertise this website and going out to all the restaurants and making sales and learned early it wasn't a good salesman you know like I would just get so nervous before going in there I was horrible at that kind of stuff so hey Ken you talk it was four of us that were doing it you know like you do the talking Ken you do the talking and so I just kind of walk in there like all sheepishly you know uh, yeah we just couldn't keep up with it back then you know all the restaurants were more just like oh we don't see a need to be on the internet like, here we are all these years later yeah. what restaurant's not on the internet yeah, yeah. But, I think we were just maybe five years before our time right. at the yeah, time. You yeah. know? This is back in the old AOL days and right. stuff, you know. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, this wasn't a. Oh, yeah, and you can make reservations online and stuff like that. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, yeah that should have so. been like. You, now you think, oh, if you were an early pioneer of that kind of thing, you, you would have just been <laughs> yeah. freaking money. I mean, like, looking, ba- <laughs> looking back on it, I wish. Uh, I mean, there's no, not like I have any regrets or anything like that, but looking back on it, one of the big lessons learned from that was like, we gave up too early, you know, if we could have stuck that out for another year or two, mm. you know, it's not easy to do when you're not able to pay rent and, you know, you're, you're eating, uh, rice and tuna mixed together every night, you know, it's a, but, you know, looking back on it, you know, I, I think of like Seth Godin, you know, a writer. He writes a lot of uh, business-oriented stuff, marketing type stuff. And, you know, he'd written a book called The Dip, you know. I'm thinking like, well, looking back on it, we were in that dip, you know. Right. If we could have just kept going for a little bit longer, I mean, who knows, mm-hmm. you know. We probably could have 
at every restaurant on there at the time. You yeah. Know? So, uh, but it was a great experience, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you kind of get, you know, people say you need to fail to to learn. It, yeah, that's sometimes totally the case. The learning might have been even more yeah. valuable yeah. in the long run than yeah, and that's the how I look initial at success. It. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's how I look at it. I'm always failing so, that stuff, Jeff. We, we uh, should get into the failures, right? <laughs> 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 it's good. It's all going to help you, like yeah. as you go along. The more failures you have, the more experiences you have. The more experiences you have, just the wiser you become. <laughs> Hopefully, you know? yeah. So, so um. Yeah, once you decided to kind of um, wrap that up in, were well, you still in Arizona, were you? Yeah, yeah, I was still in Arizona. Yeah. When I got first certified as a trainer, was it, it was right when all this was coming to an end. I was like, okay. okay, now, you know, I don't have anything, you know. You and know, you were keeping fit all throughout this time and stuff, like. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, no, you know, depends on, maybe somebody who's really, really not fit would look at me and think, oh, he's fit, but, mm. you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I not was, Compared to like your knowledge yeah, base now, not till yeah, yeah. later when I actually understood a little bit better what I was doing. Right, and, uh, you know, at the time, exercise was just kind of uh, just a little hobby on the side, you know. So uh, I didn't eat well, you know. So knew nothing about nutrition. Grew up in a family that struggled with weight a lot, mm. you know, and I had the same uh, predisposition to gain weight really really quick you right know? so i was like man i'm working out but you know like i could never had abs or anything like that you know so it was hard for me to do so uh i was just kind of doing all that kind of stuff on the side but i definitely enjoyed it and i d enjoyed working out with my friends so when menuview.com was uh failing you know like, okay i gotta do something you know so mm -hmm. i got certified by issa at the time this is 1995 1996 you know so uh Back then, there wasn't a lot of certification companies. ISSA was one of the first ones to really, uh, you know, where you see them in the muscle magazines and all that kind of right. stuff, advertising Dr. Fred Hatfield. And yeah. And so, what was, like, the field of personal training back like then? Because now, now it almost seems a bit saturated, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, you know, there's so many personal trainers. But back then, yeah can't say it's evolved a whole lot since then overall you know but uh trainers back then was very aerobic oriented i would say over okay. anything you know there was a lot of uh you kind of had your different just like today you kind of had your different groups of trainers you had your aerobic instructors you know going by there okay you need to do 30 minutes of cardio you know after your workout after warming up on the treadmill for 15 minutes you know the whole thing is about filling up an hour i think for trainers you right. know so people are paying for the hour it's like hey, what do i do for it mm. uh you know so it was just uh i look back on those days and maybe it just had to do with like the places that i was training people uh but the trainers in those places i mean it was uh looking back on it it i had already had a pretty negative view towards the industry just uh, trainers are a different breed as it is anyway i mean the drug usage i couldn't have let not just the steroids but i mean every everything you know yeah. so the people that you come out with the meth i can't believe how many people were doing meth. this is in mesa arizona and then when i first moved to california uh i worked at 24-hour fitness when i first moved to california uh from arizona and 
I'm just the trainers were drug addicts, you know. I mean, like almost every last one of them. It's mm. Just a, I realize it's not like that everywhere, but you know, this was my first couple of years in the industry. Mm. I'm like, jeez, why do you think that was? Uh, if not like a yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, that, you hear some people talk about entryway drugs and people that are doing steroids, like going into it and stuff like that. And I don't, I don't know if I believe that, but, or if it was just happened to be the time, you know, it was the late nineties, right. uh, you so know, sometimes you, uh, long hours for personal trainers as well. I don't yeah, know. It could be stuff but, like yeah. that. It could be, you know, uh, the, the 24-hour fitness I worked at was actually in Manteca, California. And it's kind of known as a meth area, mm. you know, or at least it was then. I don't know what yeah. it's like now. I haven't been there in so long. But, but back then, it was kind of had that feel to yeah. it. And, and, and with, uh, like, in that kind of environment, how did that make you feel as as a as now a, you know, a PT kind of going um, into it? Yeah, it made it... In some ways, it kind of made it easier to be a trainer. Because, I mean, I never did drugs you know what I mean? uh, even steroids up. I didn't yeah, do yeah. you know so when I went there and you did have members that were looking for a trainer I mean I was kind of I always kind of had that all-american boy next door look you know I mean I wasn't also strung up on drugs I maybe spoke a little better than some of the people that were in there at the mm. time you know as a whole I'd say especially in those times you know trainers were generally less educated. Like now, you see a lot of trainers. I mean, that's what they did in college. You know, they study yeah. uh, exercise physiology, and the, you know. But back then, it was, usually it was just kind of guys that were former jocks that didn't know what to do next, and you know. And times have changed quite a bit in it, you know. So, uh, you know, so I think you just kind of ended up with people that were maybe looking looking for their way in life at the time, you know? So I'd be curious what some of those guys are doing now. Like, mm. I don't remember most of their names, but uh, I'd be curious, like, what they're up to now. Yeah. yeah so. And then how did you start to develop in yourself as a as a you know, new personal trainer now? Like, uh, what was the journey? Yeah, the journey was never-ending, for one. Still never-ending. Uh, I would say what's... Yeah, I'm a reader, you know, so, and I think the book that really got me looking at fitness uh, differently was a book called Super Training. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, after I, it was one of the, actually, I was just talking about my police powerlifting friends. Mm. So one of them uh, gave me that book. I read this, read this. And I, when I read that, it was like, wow, okay, there is so much to this stuff. You know, I think that was the first time it actually made me realize, like, hey, it's not just lifting weights and eating low fat, you know, like kind of brought up to think it is, you know, because you're reading the muscle magazines and stuff like that. And you need this supplement and this supplement. After reading that book, kind of realized like how much science there actually is behind a lot of it, you know, so that and training with the power lifters they were when it comes to the training side of things i mean they were just you know again i was working with trainers and then i'd opened up my own place in california at the time called okay. the fitness path at the yeah. time this is in tracy california and you know i was kind of doing my thing i was having success with clients you know but 
when I started training with the power lifter, I don't know if you know who Dave Tate is. He's a I know the name. Yeah. Okay, he's a power lifter, yeah. and now he owns Elite FTS. But back then, you know, he was a I think he was just kind of starting off in his own business with Elite FTS, and he had just left Westside. Mm. Uh, well, my workout partner Warren, he would call him at least once a week, and you know. Dave is obviously an accessible guy. He would just be talking to Dave. Hey, what should we do? So we use a lot of West Side methods. Yeah. Uh, Warren's whole gym, which was in his garage, was all West Side type stuff. You know, so uh, it, just seeing how much of the science went into it and how much of the planning went into it uh, changed my approach. You know, the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. The more books I would start to read, the more... Uh, you know, now that the internet was starting to take off a little bit more, it's easier to find research on it. Uh, you know, started reading a lot more of like Charles Poliquin stuff at the time. Uh, you know, and then that's really what ended up changing my approach and kind of just taking it away from the maybe the more typical fitness. Uh, you know, before that, it, with a lot of my clients, I was using the old body for life type stuff, and again, that produced r results with you know most of the people, but nothing like what was going to happen later you know mm. so uh you know that, that body for life i don't know if that's the bill phillips old school stuff a lot of it's uh you know eating five or six times a day having three of them protein shakes per day you know buying it right. from myoplex and uh you know a lot of it was that kind of stuff like back then mm. so, and uh, when you had your own place uh, in california this place yeah what yeah. was like just a normal day like for you uh normal day they were long days, you know, it was a uh, first clients were at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, usually it would work client to client straight through. Back then I didn't do as much group training. It just wasn't the thing back then. You know, it was, I had a couple, couple times there were three people in a class, but you know, usually it was one or two. Mm. Uh, and then I would work till about 11 a.m. and then I would take the afternoon off. My mom also had a business right there. We were downtown, Tracy. So, uh, She'd head on over to my mom's shop over there and we'd go get some lunch or something and, and head back to work, usually about two or three o'clock. Last client would be eight o'clock at night, so I'd be done at nine. I mean, they were long days, you know, I mean, didn't have much of a uh, life outside of work there for several yeah. years, you know, so, but. And how old I were mean, you at that time? At that time, I was in my late 20s. I first opened Fitness Path when I was 27. Oh, right. So uh, maybe 28. Mm. So it's more right of that like entrepreneurial so, type stuff coming through uh, from a young age then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so uh, yeah, so it was uh, first started training 95, 96. Yeah, it was 98 when I first opened up. Uh, I'm sure that math goes, so it'd be 26. 98, 99 when I opened up Fitness Path right mm -hmm. inside there. So. Uh, yeah, and, it, and that was all a great learning experience too, you know, doing business for the first time yeah. like, on my own over there. At first I was supposed to do it with my brother, you know, we were going to have a supplement store in the front and then all the personal training was in the back and uh, yeah, and then uh, my brother, he, he's a professional golfer and, you know, he decided to chase that goal, so mm -hmm. he's gone there, so, right. uh, so I ended up doing it by myself over there. And, uh, you know, we had ads I wrote for the newspaper at the time, so, you know, it filled up pretty quick, you know, and then yeah. I had a, a friend who owned World's Gym over there, and then, you know, he'd given me a call, like, hey, you know, I need a trainer over here as well, you mind, like, kind of putting people 
through and showing people machines and so then like both sides of town i kind of had a place over here on this side of town and then i set up a room inside a world gym that i was training a few people on the other side oh, wow. of town as well and so uh, strong work was, uh, yeah i mean it was uh yeah you know just wasn't afraid of the long hours you know i mean i always enjoyed what i did mm -hmm. you know so uh you know and the more people you train just the more you learn you kind of see what works on people yeah it's always stickler for writing down everything you know so as much as my parents hated it for years because you know in my little place i didn't have anywhere to put my binders of everybody's workout so i kept it inside their garage i mean it was stacks and stacks of notebooks of everybody's workouts and yeah. everybody's measurements and everybody's nutrition and you know so my parents carried it around with them for yeah you know, probably 15 or 20 years for they're just like can we just get rid of this stuff we're tired of because they were moving around you know so they went from california to las vegas and then las vegas to north carolina and they didn't want to be carrying all this stuff around <laughs> i didn't want to carry it out here you know so yeah um, i imagine in those years you'd have to well you'd end up learning a lot about just people not just yeah. like you know training methods and, and stuff oh, like that exactly but, uh, you know but, when you're spending that much time with you know people. and that is so much of it is you know just kind of you know when i look at like all the sports growing up i've always given like sports a big part of you know because i also knew when i first came out here you know i did a little bit of teaching in high school when i first moved out to thailand uh you know so one thing I've kind of realized over the years, which has been a strength for me, is how to talk to different people, how to get something out of different people, because mm. you can't use the same approach for everybody. So going back to the sports, I think growing up playing in all these different sports teams with so many different personalities, uh, that went a long way in knowing how to do that. I mean, you kind of know, like, you know, you're out on the baseball field, if this guy right here, you know, makes a mistake, and you know everybody gets in his face like oh man you know you need to pay better attention you need to do this you, you know it might tear that guy down and he, you're not going to get anything out of him for the rest of the couple of weeks or ever yeah. you know whereas this person over here you know sometimes they would need that harder like, hey come on you need you need to start paying attention you need to and, and it'll work with that person you know so i think there's a lot of stuff that you take knowing how to deal with different personality types on in that team environment that mm. you take in naturally as a kid around that you know so when you start training lots of people and you realize that you're you're training people of all these different personality types you kind of instinctively already know you know younger trainers ask me about that how do you know how do you get this it's not always an easy question to answer you know on how how do you know how to deal does this person need because some people ask in here because we'll have some people i'm rough on some people i can be tough you mm -hmm. know whereas maybe some of the other people in the class will think i'm kind of picking on somebody or i'm being mean but some people you're not going to get the best out of them if unless you actually behave like an authority to them you know right, so yeah. and other people yeah. you almost have to kind of guide them and pamper them to get the best out of them you know it's right. everybody kind of requires something different yeah you know? so find the balance and, yeah, yeah you know so some people if you get on them it's just gonna make them not like you make them not enjoy the process make them not enjoy mm -hmm. exercise you know or My, 
my I've got a great friend um, Kane uh, Daniels has been on the podcast as well but he's well at the time when I was speaking to him he was the head strength and conditioning coach for a rugby team quite a big one back home okay. called the Huddersfield Giants um, he's at uh, another place called Hull now but still the head, okay. head strength and conditioning coach and he was telling me um, for the players like it's not his quote but he was just telling me it's um, they'll never care how much you know until they know how much you care oh definitely yeah, yeah. definitely <laughs> and that's always yeah, stuck with so me since since that it's like one of the like I always yeah. have some kind of thing that's it's on. a great quote yeah, yeah. you know because I, I do think when you are hard on people you can only be hard on people if they know that you're doing it for their good yeah. you know you're not just doing it to, to be a jerk you're doing it because look you're gonna be paying me to get you results you know uh, I want to see you achieve this I want to see you mm. do this you know if I'm getting under your skin a little bit it's because you know I care about your results I mean it's I mean there's a ton of trainers out there that are just willing to take people's money kind of go through the motions count their repetitions you know and that's it you Speaking know it. It. yeah I'll, I'll be your friend for the next hour you yeah. know but they're not paying it when they first come in here yeah we'll end up friends you know but they're not paying me to be their friend they're paying me to make sure that they're achieving the things that they wanted to achieve. Mm. Some people do need that. You know, I just kind of look at it like some people, they grow up and their parents say, hey, dude, they're not going to clean up their room unless their parents tell them, hey, clean up your room. You know, they go to school, they're not going to do their homework unless their teachers say, hey, do your homework. You know? right. And then they go get a job when they're adults and, you know, they got a project that needs to be done by Friday and, you know, they're not going to do it unless their boss is like, hey, you know what, if I don't have that project done by Friday, you know, you're not getting, you're not getting paid this month. You know, it's a, some people have always had that authority, you know, just uh, keeping them responsible to do what they're supposed to do, yeah. you know, it, and I do believe that's just where a lot of people are at. That's why so many people, I'm going to work with a lot of very, very successful people, but when it comes down to losing weight, why can they not drop the fat, you know, on their own? And it's like, okay, this Monday I'm starting my diet, I'm going to start working out, and then Tuesday comes around, it's like, I didn't do anything, okay, mm -hmm. and then a month goes by, six months goes by, well, you know, how come they can't get themselves to do this stuff it's because that keeping yourself responsible uh, is a skill in and of itself and not everybody has learned that skill yeah you know, sometimes they kind of need somebody else to do that for them yeah you know, so. I think there's a um, there's a guy I really admire called uh, David Goggins he's got a oh, yeah, book called yeah. uh, Can't Hurt Me and he's, he's like in the book he's like I don't want this to be motivational for you because you know motivations like we you'll be motivated today and tomorrow it'll be gone it's gone and what he wants you to try and develop is just a, a harder mindset of you know uh, uh, to change you know like right. almost Isn't like you say where it's in, at yeah. it's, it really is in change your habits like you mentioned in your book to be honest yeah. habits yeah you know, so once people are in that habit it, everything gets a lot easier mm. you know so so after after you you you, are, you work in long hours and in two different gyms yeah. at the moment what, what happens yeah. next uh you know it really just burnt out you know at the time mm. it's uh you know i think it's uh, most trainers that i know have done it for a long time i've gone through that type of period you know it's uh it, it is long hours 
it is you do try to give the person who comes in at 8 p.m. the same kind of energy you're giving the person who comes in at 7 a.m., you know, which it takes a lot of energy, you know, to, to be up all yeah. the time, you know, which is a which is a great thing, you know, because, you know, we were talking earlier about taking work home and stuff like that. Well, when you're up all day long, you know, it, it kind of becomes part of your personality as well. You know, oh, you're such a positive person all the time. You're such a positive, you know, that's really just work. Uh, as a result of what I do, I think, for a living. You know, you're always trying to be up. But that being said, it is hard to keep that up day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, decade in, decade out, you know. So I'd had fitness path for nine years at the time and then I was just uh, you know now I'm really entering adulthood you know and it's like okay I've been a fitness trainer pretty much most of my adult life Uh, I was kind of known as the fitness guy around you know I remember going uh, to uh, Panda Express and you know like I said I wrote for the newspaper and you know I had some ads and like some of the stuff that were out there and uh I remember going to Panda Express and just some guy I didn't even know, no idea who this guy was still to this day. He just comes walking up to me at my table, looks at what I was eating. I was eating orange chicken. You know, it's got that glucose yeah. junk food stuff. Uh, so he comes in like, oh, look at the trainer guy eating orange chicken, laughs and walks away. And I'm like, who is that guy? You know, so... Uh, and at that point, I think it was already, I think it was just like the, the absolute final straw. I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to take a little break from fitness, from doing this. And uh, at the time, you know, I was seeing a girl and she had grown up in Cambodia, not grown up. You know, she was like four when she left, but this was during the Khmer mm-hmm. Rouge. Right. So uh, I had come to Asia with her and just, uh, you know, this is her first time back since then. And just kind of got a little taste of it out here. I was like, wow, this is so laid back and just so different. And uh, So when I was on the plane back to the States at the time, you know, I need a break. You know, I want to come out here and take a little break. So I started looking into teaching English. And I was plan was a year. I was going to come out here for a year. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, all my clients would be waiting for me when I came back to California. That that was kind of what it was, you know. So thought I'd come out here, be done at two o'clock. I wasn't gonna work out. I wasn't gonna eat good. I was gonna drink beer. I was gonna. That was just gonna be a whole different person for you know a year. Yeah. So uh, came out here to teach English at a, at a local government high schools, uh, all with gifted kids, which made it you know much easier you know an easier transition and i loved it and you know one year turned into two years and started training people on the side out here uh just once people kind of hear you talking about fitness and you know they kind of hear the the knowledge and like hey what should i do you know how do i work out what do you think i should eat you know so then started training some people and that kind of started growing on the side and uh Two years turned into three years, and now it just started getting harder to go back to a former business that was over there. You know, right. everybody's moved on with their lives, clients moved on with their lives, and uh, at the time, fitness here was there was no fitness out here. You know, it was it was considered to be like a rich person thing. You know, if if you had any muscles, people's like, oh, you're a boxer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
no, you know, mostly just like fitness. Yeah. What? Are you gay? <laughs> That's what it was back at the time. You know, there was a, you went to California. Wow. That was pretty much the gym out here. And right. it was kind of known as being a, uh, a pickup club, <laughs> you yeah. know, with the, with the DJs and stuff in there. So fitness <laughs> has really grown in Thailand. So at mm. the time I was like, this is a good place to, you know, start, yeah. start up a new business for fitness. And, okay. You know, yeah. So it brought me out here recently. And is that when Flash Fitness was born? No. Uh, you know, first it was uh, Paradise Fitness Camp with a Malaysian friend of mine and an American friend of mine. The three of us opened that together. And that was really just kind of going around. We called it Paradise Fitness Camp because the original goal was uh, kind of like what you were talking about, like in Phuket, uh, for vacations and stuff like that. Right. So this was 2008, 2009. We're talking about doing fitness vacations out here. Mm. Uh but obviously that was just going to be for part of the year so then we started training people out of their condos and things like that and then that started growing uh allison my american friend moved back to america so then it was uh my malaysian friend anna and i uh we were just running it and then we came across a couple people who wanted to invest in a gym and they wanted us to do it with them uh, so we opened up a place on Ekamai. Uh, and at the time, I mean, there was nothing like it. You know, I mean, there was no, nowhere in town had sleds. Nowhere in town had flipping tires. You know, right. it, was, it was all that kind of style yeah, yeah. stuff originally. So uh, we opened that, had a big fallout with our uh partners over there if you will you know everybody was warning us even ahead of time so i won't get that story is long and uh not good memory type stuff but yeah, yeah we were kind of screwed over with that and everybody okay. was right from the get-go everybody's like be careful mm. i don't know i don't know be careful be careful so we put about a year and a half into that gym and winded up with absolutely nothing you know so uh yeah so that was Again, a lot more lessons to be learned. <laughs> you know, you don't just go around trusting people and, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, so that was called, now I won't even say what it's called. I'm not going to give them any kind of advertising whatsoever. Uh, but I don't even know if the place is still there. Everybody says it looks like it's closed down. I don't know. But uh, so basically, then it ended up being run by a couple of English teachers that didn't know anything about fitness. So, uh yeah, so there was that. And then at the time, you know, it was my, she was my girlfriend at the time, but my now wife, you know, she said, well, why don't we open up a place? You know, she was fitness instructor and yoga instructor. I got, mm -hmm. sounds good. So that's when we opened up Flash. It was right. my wife and I that opened up this one. So, okay. Yeah, so it was kind of a journey. That was 2012 that we opened this. So, uh, yeah, so, and again, like looking back on it, everything was for the better you know mm. so that last gym wasn't really going in the direction that we saw it going you know so it, you know we had kind of talked that one day about you know opening up gyms and kind of knowing who your clientele is you know so when you open up a gym and you've got tires and chains and uh you know the kind of hard hardcore feel that we had over there and then you advertise it obviously you're going to be pulling in the hardest core of the hardest core people which is great if that's the kind of gym that you want but you know a lot of our clients that we came into that place with were 
not like that. You know, there are 40-year-old, 50-year-old Mrs. Jones, you know, uh, CEOs of companies and a lot of uh, embassy people and things like that. Now, all of a sudden, their gym was kind of getting taken over by... Meatheads. Uh, Meatheads <laughs> and egos yeah. and, you know, people grunting and taking their shirt off and flexing in the mirrors. And, you know, and now all of a sudden, our core group of people were a lot less comfortable and showing up a lot less. Yeah. And, you know, and then new people who would come in, you know, it kind of come in and be like, all right, I don't know if I like this place, you know. So uh, so when we come here to Flash and you see there's no signage and eh, that's all for a reason. You know, mm. we, we really try to keep it, you know, if you want a place that truly is community oriented, you know, let the community grow it. You know, so that's kind of how we look at this place is, you know, they tell their friends and they tell their friends. And if you start with a good core group of uh, quality people, you know, they're going to be also inviting quality people as well, yeah. you know. So, and then, you know, so it's kind of like, all right, we've built a place for this person right here. And then, all right, we get them results. They go about their daily lives, and it's like, man, you're looking great. What are you doing? Oh, got this private little dream. You don't know about it. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. that sparks interest in and of itself. Yeah. You know, then you get that kind of red velvet rope effect, like, oh, where is this place you yeah, know i want to yeah. go check it out it's like well i've never seen it advertised of course you haven't <laughs> <laughs> you know and then that just actually kind of builds up a curiosity mm. about the place as well so, so did you when you were opening um flash did was there a lot of um thought about community and that kind of thing or uh, like the culture? yeah at that point we knew we wanted to really keep the culture uh you know again because we did have a lot of people that were you know, when we first opened, I mean, we were 80% foreigners, expats, you know, at the time, a lot of uh, embassy, a lot of people that were here on business and things like that. So, uh, you know, just kind of people that kind of want like a certain feel to the place, you know, so we wanted to be able to keep that. So we really just, all right what mistakes do we make at that last gym? What brought in these guys to begin with? How do we keep those guys? Well, you know, some of it was just straight up advertising, you know? So back at the, in those, this is, you know, you don't see that kind of stuff as much anymore, but those online coupons, you know? So when we put those online coupons out there, hey, join for 50% off, and then just kind of brought everybody in, you know, but it ruined the culture almost overnight, yeah. you know? I mean, yeah, we saw a big jump in numbers, but it's, you know, it's uh, at what cost, you know? So uh, and when you're thinking long-term for the gym, you know, so if, if you get the people, if you build a gym for the people who are not comfortable in gyms uh, and they've had bad experiences with gyms and then they come here and you build that place for them, you don't have to worry about numbers as much over time because they're never going to leave. You know, they found a place that they're comfortable with. They found a place that they got results in. They got, they found a place that's theirs. You know what I mean? And when it's mm. theirs, they're going to invite their friends. Those numbers are going to get there. And then you also don't have a, you know, a hole at the bottom of the bucket. No one's going to leave because they take such, that's the thing about this place. I mean, it's, you listen to the clients talk about it. It's, it's my gym. You know I mean? That's how they look at it, you know, which is, awesome yeah because you know, that's how we want them to you we want to and you look around we got like 
coffee makers and you know like this room in here people come in here and they do their work and you know it's 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 their gym you know so i think in those early days it must have been well i imagine if it was me i'd been just been so worried like you know because initially he's been like all right how do we get people in initially and that kind of thing yeah i mean it must have taken a lot of trust and and confidence in you, your guys' only ability to just trust the process and, yeah. and you know. Yeah, and there definitely is some pay, and that's, you know, at the other gym, that's why they want, they being the other business partners, why they really wanted to start advertising is they mm-hmm. didn't have that patience, you know, to like, hey, let's let it grow, you know, I mean, gyms are best when grown organically, you know, if you just throw it all out there, people are gonna come, they're gonna, you know, it's, you know, and that's also why we don't do stuff like, you know, we've been contacted by Guava Pass and what's the other one? Uh, Class Pass or whatever it's called. You know, so it's like, hey, you know, we, we have all these coupons. You know, it's, do you know what those are? It's They have like a, I don't know if it's a card, I don't know, a membership. And they can go to any gym that's okay. with that. Yeah, so if yeah. they have their Guava Pass, it's like, all right, you know, it says I can go here. Well, mm. we don't want you here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we want... A community that's tight we want people to run the program you know if somebody comes in here and they do a workout and then they go do this at this gym and this at this gym and this at just this gym and it's like man I'm not getting results it's like well yeah you're ADD you know get yourself a program you yeah. know what are you training for you know so uh, you know so it's just it's knowing what your niche is and what what the gym is designed for you know if you know exactly who your clientele is and what that clientele's goals are, you know, then you can design your gym around that, you know. So if people just open up a gym and just kind of see who comes in, you know, some people are going to come and they're going to, you know, you're not, you're not niching it down to where it needs to be to really make it personal for somebody, you yeah. know. So, uh, which I think will be the, future of fitness anyways the gyms are going to get more specialized i think with the you know like here it's everything's body composition everything's fat loss and body composition somebody comes in here like, hey, i want to i want to improve my one at max snatch good luck with that you know there's a place over there on the corner you know that can help you with that you know hey i want to be the biggest bodybuilder in town like hey good luck with that you know if you want to head on over to uh on new there's a great gym you know it does that type of stuff you yeah. know but that's not what we do here. That's not what we design our programming for, you know. So, uh, so who's your you know, like? Uh, if you just had someone walking now and they were like your perfect client, uh, that's actually kind of wide range right now, just because metabolic health has become such an issue in society that it's actually a pretty, pretty. You know, there was just a, a thing done. This is in America, but with Americans as well but the the research showed you know so they had six different uh, biomarkers that they used to kind of see who's metabolically healthy and who's not 88% of the people were not metabolically healthy so 12% were considered to be metabolically healthy Mm. so when it comes down to the population of people who should be training for metabolic health okay which when I say metabolic health I mean I'm including things like diabetes and metabolic syndrome and obesity and uh you know or just people who want to lean up uh and do it as efficiently as possible you know so i kind of look at it like 88 percent of the people are are probable clients here you know so uh 
So it's hard to put that down to who it is exactly. It's and it's also changed over the years, you know. Whereas in the beginning, I mean, we were definitely a, a foreigner place, you know. With with, you know, we're in the business district right here. It's a lot of people that are in town from uh, overseas, you know. And then they heard, you know, from the people that they were working with and stuff. But now I would say we're probably seventy five percent Thai. Oh, really? You know, well, maybe even more than that now. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Uh, which from a business perspective is also great because yeah. they're not here on a three-year contract and gone, you know? So, mm. uh, you know, now we're getting a lot of the, uh, the long-term people that are going to be here for years and years and years, which we've already seen, you know? So, uh, that makes business a lot easier too. You know, it's, uh, again, no hole at the bottom of the bucket, you know, yeah. just as more people come in and classes are full. On a, um, a wider scale, let's say, someone isn't here in Bangkok and they can't come to Fresh Fitness, yeah. um, and let's say they, they do want a personal trainer though, Yeah. what for you separates like a good personal trainer compared to like a great personal trainer or someone like in the top 1%? Uh, well, there's several things. Uh, first and foremost, it starts with absolutely caring, you, you know, and I think people can or should be able to sense that, you know, I mean, does this person care about that person's results, you know, or they care about the business, you know, are they trying to sell you or are they trying to learn everything they can about you? Because if they're trying to sell you, you already kind of know where their priorities are. You know, if, if you meet them and they're, they're asking you 800 questions about, you know your lifestyle and what you live and the things that you've done and they're all now they're already looking at you like all right how can i help this person i'm i'm trying to find a way i can help Mm. this person you know so i would say the number one thing is first and foremost that okay secondly would be the knowledge you know but that's always a little harder because most people don't have the knowledge to know whether or not that trainer has the proper knowledge. You know what I mean? You need right. a certain yeah, level yeah. of knowledge to even be able to recognize if somebody's truly an expert or not, you know, which would take you to doing a little bit of research. You know, okay, this person says he's a great trainer. Where's where's the evidence? You know, I should be able to see depending on what that person's particular niche is, but let's say it's metabolic health. I should be able to see before and after pictures. I should be able to see people saying, you know, uh, I came off of my diabetes medication. I should be, if nothing else, I at least have some testimonials of people saying like, look, this person is everything that they say that they are, you know? So yeah, I'd say it comes down to that, you know, first, does a person care? You know, secondly, are they knowledgeable, you know? And then thirdly, do they have some type of evidence of that knowledge, mm. you know? So I think if you just take that little checklist and go down that, people should be okay, you know? Ask for a couple sessions for free, or at least one session for free. Are they are they paying attention to you or are they looking at their phone, you know? Are they, uh, you, know, you, can, you can tell when somebody's, into it or if they're just trying to make a buck you know so uh and with the trainer industry i mean it's it's not always easy to tell right away you know Mm. so what do you think like uh the future of flash fitness is like 
are you just happy just to keep growing it or yeah you know we do want to open up other places you know so uh i look at it as like the neighborhood community gym right so what i'm how we look at it is we want to put it in different communities uh, and have it be that neighborhood gym, you know. So uh, I'd like to feel, you know, that we've got a, a really good idea as far as exactly who we are and what we do and, you know, it seems the like best it, yeah. ways of going about it now, you know. And again, that's been a 20-year journey through fitness to mm. kind of where it's kind of narrowed down to this point. It's like, all right, you know what? we have something that works we have something that works really well now we can kind of take this and if we have the right people we can open up some other ones to help us run those places you know so uh might be hiring a guy here pretty soon i got a good feel of him being the right person we've already got somebody who's going to be doing this with us steve uh helping us open up other ones as well so you know it's just making sure that we get the right team that we train them the right way they'll be running our programs you know so each place you know we'll be running you know i'll be writing all the programs for all the places Mm. because i think that's where a lot of gyms fail too is you know you open up okay you got this trainer he's he's got everybody on a stability ball doing functional training you know function whatever that means yeah whatever (laughs) functional means so it's it's uh I asked actually I just asked a trainer this recently so what because it says on you know he's got a little thing up on the board that says oh he's a functional trainer so can you tell me what functional training is Mm. you know what is the meaning of functional he goes movement movement like now explain to me an exercise that isn't movement you know it doesn't make any so you know I see what they're trying to I think there's a lot of like market. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of like it's marketing. And That's what it is. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, because there's a lot of stuff that functional training, as we're seeing it inside gyms day in and day out, aren't taking into account. Like, is is just a muscle contraction not functional in and of itself? Mm. You, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, so those okay. Well, a leg extension isn't functional, you know. But standing on a ball, you know, working on balance skills is functional Mm. well for who and for what you know what's what's that person's goal you know because a a leg extension which is depleting glycogen inside of the muscle cells and improving mitochondria function and producing lactic acid and therefore increasing growth hormone and therefore increasing the amount of hsl so you're burning more body fat uh how's that not functional for 88% of the population? It's yeah. very functional for 88% of the population. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it depends on how people want to look at this. So, you know, uh, I really um, like a guy called um, Joe DeFranco. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's like, for the stability of all people, he's like, because uh, he trains a lot of athletes and stuff, he's like, can you name me any sport that is played on an unstable surface <laughs> surfing maybe yeah. you know it's like that's about all i've got right yeah, there yeah. you know so uh, but it, yeah you just see so much stuff and you know a lot of it just comes down to these certification companies like all right now what do we you know what can we teach to get 500 dollars out of each person to come in you know yeah. so uh, most people don't understand the metabolic or physiological side mm. of training you know so they have to you know how to increase your squat you know by 10 pounds and you know so it's uh 
Yeah, it's just, you know, I've kind of gone off like on a little tangent right there, but, you know, getting back to it is just knowing what, you know, what it is that you want to do with your clients and then just understanding that the best that you can. You know, yeah. So. Should we just touch on like um, Flash Fitness isn't just like a personal training type gym. It's, it's You do classes as well, isn't it? Yeah. So like what, I just describe for people like what a class might be well, like if you came to you know, Flash Fitness. What originally kind of, this was back in California which originally kind of got me into this, you know, having more people training more people in one. It started actually with an aerobics instructor that I used to train. And I didn't, this was at the world gym I was telling you about. And I didn't have a lot of time with her. So it started with a little 20 minute gap that I was able to able mm. to train her. So she just, she wanted me to train her. And I was like, well, we don't have time between her schedule and my schedule. There's no way to kind of get anything there. So between classes, we're like, okay, well, got a little gap right here. Can you just put me through a little workout? Well, at the time, I was also training with the powerlifters quite a bit. So uh, from the powerlifters, that, that was where I first learned about undulating training, right? So, uh, which is, I don't know if you know a lot about like periodization and how things are structured, but yeah, a little, a little, the little. west side group of powerlifters would have one day, which was max strength type stuff, yeah. all right? So you, you, you trained heavy, you're training your nervous system. Then you have one day which is considered speed day or dynamic mm. day, okay, where you use a much lower load and you're trying to train yeah. for speed. But the thing is they were training for different aspects of fitness within the week. Yeah. Okay, so uh, at the time, I started trying that with fat loss clients. See, she was an aerobics instructor, but she could not lose body fat. I mean, she's training four classes a day in the aerobics room, but can't lose body fat. I mean, that's what, four hours almost worth of cardio a day. Yeah. She's burning more calories than anybody around, but she wasn't able to lose body fat. So now I had 20 minutes with her, okay? So what I did is I created one day, which was a circuit, which was just strength, okay? And then the next day, because I was training her twice a week at the time. So we had a strength day, and then we had one day, which was, uh, I don't want to call it speed, but it was I was using density type stuff at the time. So it was still kind of circuits, but everything was done a little bit faster, a little bit more huff and puff. Okay. So, uh, so we had the one day strength, one day huff and puff, 20 minutes, all it was, just trying to fill in those gaps best that we can. And man, she melted away so fast. Yeah. So then she told these two other aerobics instructors, one was a yoga instructor, another uh, aerobics instructor, both over at World Gym, so they wanted to join her in that class. So now I had three people inside that class. All right, right. you know, this is kind of working. So you'll be at this station, you'll be at this station. Very similar to kind of stuff that you'll see here yeah, at Flash now. The inception of it. So you got different people in different stations. They're doing that for a certain amount of time. It was easier than doing reps at that time. So I, I was just looking at my clock. Okay, switch. Yeah. Uh, that's how long ago it was. It was one of those little stopwatch <laughs> things, you know. So don't see those around anymore, you know, but... Uh, yeah, so even now, like when I'm talking to you, I'm kind of doing like this movement with my thumb, which I haven't not done in years. But uh, so I was doing that and then just watching them go through it. And then, you know, then Francis melted away as well. And Corey melted away and was like, all right, this is really working right here. So uh, then one of her, the first one, her name was Cherry. And then her husband joined, Mike. And so, I mean, now, you know, you're able to see how this can work with a group of people. So the other place across town, which is my own facility, that's when I started training some of them, mm. like two and three people, you know. So at the time, I thought three was a lot for one class, you know. So uh, 
But once you get good at doing three, then there's really no difference between three and five. You know, once they kind of understand what they're doing and they understand the movements that yeah. they're doing and things like that. Uh, and the room is small enough to where you can be in anyone's face and, you know, yeah. within a couple of seconds, like, oh, oh, slow your down your tip. Okay. You're just right there. If you set up the room right, you can do it. So you can see Flash is a small place, mm. you know, so one or two trainers, we can, we're right next to whoever we want to be. If somebody's resting a little bit more than we need to, okay, half a second, we can be right there. Okay. No, like I was doing with you, you know, yeah. it, it creates that little pressure when yeah, you're doing it. Yeah. It's like, okay, three, two, one like oh please go look at that person over there get away from me <laughs> you know so uh yeah so that's kind of like where the the group training came it all kind of started with cherry and francis and Corey and you know, cherry's husband mike and you know that's when you kind of started that and then i started using it over it at the fitness path mm. and uh so when we came over here i just kind of knew how to already work it and now you see group training everywhere you yeah. know but back then there was no group training. There was no group training, you know. And I, at the time, I didn't even call it group training. It was just uh, their friends wanted to join, so okay, yeah, we'll just kind of do it, you know. It, there was no uh, group training stuff, you know. So that's not how I advertise anything. But uh, yeah, but now it's just yeah, you know. And I, I do think you'll see a lot more of it even still in the future. I think we're going to start seeing a little bit less of the uh, the big gyms you know which are failing miserably uh yeah economically you know but then also just failing the public you know they, they don't it, it's like opening up a kitchen and just telling people to go cook themselves you know right they, yeah people yeah. join a gym because they want to accomplish something you mm. know they want to get healthier they want to lose fat they want to put on muscle they want to you know but they go into these places and it's just Again, it's like somebody, okay, there's pots, there's pans, there's spoon, there's flour. Okay, I'm supposed to make a cake. What do I do? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so and that's how most gyms yeah. kind of treat people, you know. So, uh, you know, that's it's just something how I kind of see. Like this one here, like I said, it's all body composition and metabolic health. But uh, I love, I mean, you, you've read that one book and it's like I would love to back in the 40s and 1950s people went and they did group classes for uh, for muscle building and stuff mm. you know York and you know the old uh, Vince Dronda's gyms and uh, you know the, what was the name of the Oakland gym that Steve Reeves went to again as a It'll come to me a little bit later, but a whole bunch of guys went to that gym, you know, Tommy Kono and Steve Reeves and, you know, the, all that kind of stuff was done differently right. back then. It's, and th that stuff worked, you know, it's bringing some of that stuff back. So, mm. uh, really, you know, we've talked about like, what about having like an old school gym, which does all programs for putting on muscle? You know, so if we just open up a gym, like very much like old Vince Dronda's gym, bringing a lot of that old style equipment, you know, very different than this equipment because, again, different goals require different physiological outcomes of the workouts, and you need to choose the equipment that's going to get you that. You yeah. know, so the muscle building stuff, you know, you'd have some hack squats and different types of stuff inside there, things that we don't have here. But people come in, maybe do three weeks of five by five training, and then you do three weeks of 8816 Vince Geronda stuff and then do three weeks of maybe like a Bob Hoffman, you know, 532 training and then you go to a maybe a 
go back to a Geronda 8x8 or 10x10 and you know it'd yeah. be fun to do with like a little group of people like doing the more muscle building yeah, style that'd stuff cool. it'd be a cool little gym cool concept how did you um, end up which was the first book that you wrote was it the uh, the first one was Habits and Hormones okay, yeah, that's I'd read one read before that yeah. but I just never put it out you know so yeah. it's, it, it's done we just never published it you yeah know? so it was a uh, more of a day-by-day kind of thing to do yeah. uh you know but uh the first one was that was it habits and hormones was in a brain freeze i don't even know which book i published first <laughs> i was writing them both at the same time so okay. i'm not actually not, the first one published was the uh muscle building one okay. the the yeah the sculpting a classic physique yeah that was the first one published I wouldn't say it was the first one that was finished, but it was the first one I actually mm. kind of figured out how to get on Kindle and all that type okay, of stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, Habits and Hormones, I thought it was really good. Um, mm, thanks. As, as we were saying earlier, I, you know, I knew like a little bit about you know, um, insulin, leptin, and ghrelin and that kind of thing, but never really thought of it as a foundational, mm. um, you know, uh, construct to build the rest of your training upon yeah but it makes sense like i will I, I mean i always used to say to myself you know there's all that old adage you can't um out train a bad diet yeah. and then i was always like and you can't out sleep bad eats you know <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. exactly so you can't you know you know what I mean? you can't um if you've got a bad sleep and habit then your yeah. diet is is nullified almost yeah because, uh, well I'm a big proponent of sleep after reading yeah. books like there's a great one called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker mm. and stuff like that but um, uh, one of the best things about how it's a home I think was how actionable it was okay especially with your like 30 um, foods as well like yeah. I'm vegetarian and even I could have 25 of those foods you know yeah. so it's not you know it's not restrictive for anyone right and um then you got the the habits that you well you gave the analogy of those yeah. uh, was it just John? adding one yeah. a week yeah. yeah John and Bob I think yeah. those are the names they use in that book yeah yeah so. but they're all really like actionable habits like um, the fish oil and just having a high protein high fat breakfast yeah uh, so for that I thought it was was it did you write it in a way for it to be very actionable for people or? yes you know I originally wrote it for my clients especially the clients back home. You know, so just over the years, I mean, you learn as a trainer that like giving somebody a nutrition plan does not work. I mean, I shouldn't say it doesn't work. I mean, for a small percentage of the population, it may work. Okay. But for a lot of people, it doesn't work. So what I found was you just want to try to start with something small. Okay. But find what it is that's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. Okay. So with everybody that might be different you know so you, you do have to kind of look at what their current habits are like okay if somebody's drinking soda okay three times a day it becomes pretty clear what habit they can change that's going to make the biggest yeah. impact on their physique metabolic health whatever it is that that person's training for you know so then it's just kind of finding out with that person if it's a doable habit okay so can you give up your soda? Oh, no way. I've, you know, I've been drinking soda for 10 years. Okay, mm. well, then we'll maybe uh, 
can you give up your soda on Tuesdays and Thursdays? Yeah, like, that's like oh the, yeah, I can do that. The ice cream sandwich for uh, John is it? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. putting that inside there with the with the with the magnum is how I use it. Sometimes I get it mixed up what I wrote in the book and who I'm, what I'm explaining to clients in here. But yeah, the magnum, the ice cream sandwich. People yeah. don't want to give it up. You know, so there's certain things some people don't want to give up. You know, I would say the most common one being, uh, at least with our clientele here, wine at night. You know, a lot of people don't want to give up wine. Uh, you know, so it's, okay, well, what's the next habit on the list? What can we find, you know, in this person's lifestyle that will make a difference? And then you change that. Okay, so, and then usually that's going to, people think they have to change this and change that, change this. I find that's not true. Usually if you just find one thing that's really having a a negative impact by changing that, and sometimes it's something small, fish oil, gosh, that works. I mean, we, we see that work. Uh, you know, if it improves somebody's insulin sensitivity, that can go a long, long way. Sometimes even just, you know, signing up for the gym and you know doing the workouts properly is enough to not sometimes almost always that's enough of a habit we don't even have to go into too much nutrition and to start with people because that's enough to start yielding returns mm. right now let's just start with something simple like fish oil and vitamin d you know that's that's easy to do let's add some vitamin d and some fish oil and some magnesium okay now we're just kind of covering our our bases with the basics right there uh so now they've got a new workout program that they're doing which is depleting glycogen maybe the fir- for the first time in a long time their uh, body is functioning better uh, and now we just make a few changes that improve insulin sensitivity that increase their their moods and they feel better and more likely to have some energy for working out you've, it doesn't seem like a lot right there but that you you've already created a huge impact and you'll see people's body fat i mean everybody's so different it's hard for me to put a number out there but i mean it is not uncommon to see just with those changes somebody drop their body fat five to ten percent you know i'm talking about maybe six weeks or so but which is still i mean that's a lot at that point now they're complete believers in the system and anything that we're trying to do with them so now they're excited about something else like all right, you ready to give up those cokes? Oh yeah, okay. You know, yeah, so like, now yeah. they're now they're gung ho because they're seeing results and they're excited. Domino so effect. now it's yeah. the domino effect. Now you can take this the soda out there, and now you got another big impact. So it's like throwing a log on the fire. Now the results start happening that much longer and that much more. Now they go to work, and everybody's like, "Man, what are you doing? You look great. How much have you lost? Oh, you look incredible!" And they're seeing results just in their performance you know with in, in their workouts they're feeling better their skin is clearing up their hair starts getting thicker and people are like oh, okay well what's the next people can't wait to do the next habit like what are we gonna what do i do next what do i should I, should i start cutting carbs out of my lunch should i, start, should I do this should I do, and you know so now it's just once again you have to kind of bring it back and you look at everything as a whole again uh okay this is what you're eating every day this is your sleep this is uh your workouts what's the next change what's going to give us the biggest change for the smallest impact in their lifestyle yeah and over time it you know you're able to ride that out if you just have somebody do everything all at one time now let's say they get good results and six weeks go by eight weeks go by and then all of a sudden they hit a wall and they plateau now as a trainer 
okay, what do you have for them now? Now there's, oh gosh, I don't know. You know, so we've already threw all of our eggs into the basket. So whereas if you can just kind of feed those results as you go along, you always have tools in the back of your pocket to, uh, to make something work, you know, and this is part of the reason why I'm so against calorie counting and getting the calories so too many trainers are still doing that. You know, it's a, I'm not against it for each and every single person, but, uh, and the people I would use it with, let's say somebody was dieting down for like a bodybuilding show or a fitness show or, uh, or or a martial arts event, you know, I mean, yeah, maybe kind of go for it from there, but for your average person who's trying to just lose 20 pounds, 30 pounds, they don't need to be calorie counting, you know? So, uh, it's just changing what they eat, finding the right habit changes. You know, they look like that, they got like that, their health got like that because of particular bad habits. Okay, well, let's let's start nipping those in the butt. Get them healthy first. Everything else will take care of itself, you know? So what's gonna get them healthy, you yeah. know, so. I think you mentioned it a little bit in the book as well, not to worry about too much what the scale says, because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, you're looking at your body composition, which means you might have dropped two kilograms, but if that's 50-50 um, body fat and weight, you're going to exactly. look exactly the same, essentially. Uh, but, you, know. you know, we have so many people in here that have actually gained weight, but then their clothes are just falling off of them. Everybody's like, man, you're losing so much weight. Like, yeah. look at you. It's, But on the scale, it won't necessarily say that. And you know who it's actually worse with are, are runners, okay, or people who are doing a lot of aerobic type stuff, yeah. or chronic dieters. You know, so people who have gone low calorie in the past. Because when you run or when you diet, low calorie diet, uh, you're causing the same problems, which is muscle loss. I mean, there's some research to show that it's up to 40% of the, the, the weight that you're losing is coming from lean tissue. Mm. That is absolutely unacceptable. So it looks great on the scale, okay, but what's that telling your body? Your body's actually eating itself Okay, that's what you're losing right there. So when people start lifting weights right after something like that, you're putting back on that lost tissue. So when runners come in here, we have a lot of runners because runners are skinny fat and just makes them skinnier fat when they do their running, you know? So they they don't lose this around here. So it's like, oh gosh, well, how do I get rid of this? How do I get rid of this? Mm. So a lot of the runners that come in here, it's like, well, you can have to stop running for about six weeks. I don't know if I can stop. What's your goal? You know, <laughs> what's what's your number one goal? I want to lose this. Then stop running for six weeks, because uh, the number one priority. We don't want to give the body mixed signals. Number one priority is getting that muscle back on there. Yeah. Okay. When they get that muscle back on there, they're going to burn fat more efficiently. So sometimes you know they'll freak out. It's like, okay. I want to lose fat. I want to lose fat. Clothes are fitting good, things like that. But then they come in, they step on the scale. It's like, oh man, I've gained three kilos. It's like, you're, no, 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 no. You've replaced three kilos. Okay, that's mm. that's three kilos you lost from running long distances or cutting calories and things like that. You know, so uh, so the, the scale can just play mind games with people. It doesn't tell you what's muscle, what's fat, what's brains, what's bone, what's what's in your intestines what's you know what's waiting to come out next time you go to the bathroom it it, it tells you how hard the earth is pulling you into the ground now if that's that important to you you know it's like uh 
you know those old Vince Gironda quotes. It's like if you don't like what you see in the mirror, what does it matter what the scale says? You know. Yeah. So I'd rather have people go by that. You know, how are your clothes fitting? How do you feel? How does how do you look inside the mirror? Is it sometimes hard for I'm I'm thinking especially ladies now, um, for if you tell them right we're gonna do a lot of weight training and then they're like oh, I don't want to put on a lot of muscle like I don't want to get uh, bulky and stuff or do they usually adopt quite quickly? Yes, but not as bad as it used to be. I mm. think people know now. I, I, as a whole, I think the words out weight training is good for you and everybody yeah. kind of knows to do it. Yeah. Uh, Twenty years ago, yes, you know everyone oh I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to get bulky. It's like you know what? Okay, now this is. You know, I've been doing this for, you know, 23-something years. I have never, ever had a woman, like, wake up and just be like, Oh, man, what happened? <laughs> like, I look like Arnold. You I'm know, like, when did this happen? It just, it doesn't happen. They just yeah. don't have the testosterone levels to put on that kind of muscle. Yeah. And it's nice because, I mean, it's been a long time of coming. But I think women overall have have grasped the fact that you know odds are they're not gonna i mean yeah still every once in a while you'll hear women like i don't want to get bulky i don't want to get bulky i don't want to use that weight because i'm afraid i'm gonna get bulky (laughs) you know but it just doesn't you know i especially in here i think maybe i don't see it as much because you know we have a few people in here who've become kind of flash superstars so to speak you know i mean everybody know that everybody in here knows them because of the shape that they're in and what mm. they can accomplish and so you just missed her may left right before you got in here but i mean she's she's this big she's this big around i mean she's a fitness machine uh you know and she's using like heavier weights than most of the men i mean she's strong as can be you know but when people see how tiny she is and you know there's and there's several people like her in here and they see how how they've actually gotten leaner and how they you know seemingly get smaller yet they're using the heaviest weights all of a sudden you see the other women kind of like maybe maybe i will try that you know and it helps having uh examples working out right that's another nice thing about the the group training because you have an example right next to you Mm. it's like okay well she didn't get bulky she's been here for three years doing it look at the way she's doing okay i think i'm okay i can do this maybe that's why i don't see it as much i feel like it's gotten better over time but uh is you know maybe just the environment yeah. they're working out in i think you uh, you know I, i've just come from working at like a very much commercial gym club type thing uh-huh. and i was like i would work in sales so i'd meet uh, hundreds of people every month that would come in to you know um have a look around and a lot of times i'd spend 20 minutes just at the start just asking them like oh why are you here yeah <laughs> uh, and um yeah i think you, you are right that women and, and men in general are trending more towards being happy with strength training and stuff yeah i think you still do get quite a few people like oh i don't want to get bulky or anything yeah they're still out um there. but i think yeah like the i think people are understanding how much important strength is to health like yeah so uh, a while back dr andy galpin posting about how leg strength was the biggest predictor of all-cause mortality yeah and then next to it was like grip strength and then down the line somewhere was like smoking yeah. history well and that's just for the strength yeah. but as far as uh muscle mass muscle mass yeah. is a predictor yeah. of yeah. longevity as well you know because yeah. as people get older i mean the sarcopenia is what it's called and that's just age-related loss of muscle tissue mm. so if you want to live longer i mean and this has been researched you know through the gills I and mean, it's just if you want to live longer keep your muscle mass yeah you know so i mean it, weight training is 
the older you get, the more important weight training becomes. I, I believe it's important for everybody. You know, it's. I think you should be doing it when you're young to keep, you know, to make your bones strong, make your ligaments strong, make your muscles strong, be strong, period. Yeah. Okay, but then as you get older, it just becomes more and more important to be able to to maintain ability, you mm-hmm. know. And I think we're realizing as well how much more smarter muscle cells are than what we used to think. Because I think yeah. back in the day, we used to think like, just like a one-way signal brain to muscle and they wouldn't right. really give us anything back but yeah. now we see like so you know the more they research it the more they realize and fat yeah. just tissue uh the more they realize like they're 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 organs you know they they communicate with your your fat and muscle communicate with each other uh and they both communicate with your nervous system i mean they there's this very complex uh communication game going on using biochemistry for your body to stay in touch with what other parts of the body are doing you know that uh our cells are a lot more intelligent than even we are (laughs) you know so nature is a lot more intelligent than we are you know there's been two and a half million years of evolution going on there and it wants to do things its way it doesn't always match maybe what our particular goals are of us living in our current culture and our current ideologies and what we think should be right and what's not right. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, you know, muscle tissue is very important in terms of metabolic regulation. It's important for staying healthy for a long period of time. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's something everybody should be doing. Yeah. yeah. So what's the uh, next book you're working on? Uh, actually, it is Metabolic Regulation. So it's, uh, don't have a name for it yet, but it's going to be something along the lines of training for metabolic regulation. It, it's kind of gearing this one more at trainers and not just, you know, you know, in the beginning, like my editor had looked at it. It said, okay, well, problem is it kind of starts off like it's talking to like your average client, average person on the street. Then it kind of goes into like it's talking to trainers. And then by the end, I mean, you're talking to doctors and PhDs who study this type of stuff. Right. You know, so uh, he had a couple of different suggestions on how to go about it. But I think I'm just going to go ahead and gear it towards the upper end. You know, I mean, there's plenty of programs out there. There's plenty of, uh, you know, even habits and hormones. I kind of look at it as a, it's a very simplified yeah. uh, way of describing something that I wanted my clients to be able to understand, you know, like when I did it. This one here is going to be geared at understanding like maybe what's driving all of this, you know, and then how to, once we can understand what's driving metabolic health or metabolic ill health, then we can adjust our training for it and our nutrition for achieving what we want to achieve right there. You know, so too many doctors say, okay, well, you got to work out for 30 minutes a day. It's like telling somebody eat for 30 minutes a day. It's what's more important is what you do and how you do it. You know, so different types of training yield different physiological, metabolic, and hormonal responses to that training. You know, there's, you could tell somebody, oh, well, what should I do for the 30 minutes? Ah, do some squats. Well, 
there's limitless ways to do squats. You know, there's different ways, you know, for when it comes to form, when it comes to tempo, when it comes to speeds, when it comes to volume, when it comes to the load that you're using and, and all these, you know, how much rest time you're taking between sets, how often a week are you squatting? I mean, there's so many variables that go into that, yeah. that all of them also, again, they have different metabolic, hormonal and physiological effects to that particular program. So if you're a power lifter, you're going to do squats. Okay. If you're a ballerina, you're going to do squats. If you are a golfer, you're going to do squats. If you're a sumo wrestler, you're going to do squats. If you're a marathon runner, you're going to do squats. If you're a sprinter, you're going to do squats. If you're a yoga instructor, you're going to do squats. If you're a bodybuilder, you're going to do squats. Now, should they all program their stuff to say, should they all work out 30 minutes? It, it, it makes no sense, you know? So it's finding out, okay, if we want better metabolic health, how do we go about achieving that with, how do we fine tune our training for that? Okay, so that's really what this whole book is about. It's, right. it's how to gear towards losing body fat, lowering diabetic you know we work with the hospitals out here and we've seen incredible results with the hospitals in terms of diabetes and lowering medications uh, because there is a specific way to do it you know so and, and that's really what it's about is how to design it for metabolic health in general yeah regulating metabolic health I think about it back a while ago they used to think oh, you got diabetes and that's it like and then, yeah. then like, personal <laughs> trainers came along like Hold on, let's, yeah. let's see if we can have a crack at this. And when we say a while ago, I mean, we're talking mostly our lifetimes and most of our parents' lifetimes. But if yeah. you go way back, okay, if you go back to our grandparents' lifetimes, you go back to like the 1940s and you open up the American, you know, medical association, you open up their books and it says, okay, this person has diabetes. What do you do? Go back to it. It says this, right? It says there, go back to a normal diet of high fat, high protein, limit your carbohydrates, limit starches, limit sugars. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, the knowledge itself isn't new, mm. you know, but lost it's, been, it's been lost, yeah. you know. So uh, whether or not that's been on purpose uh, or not, I don't know. That's a whole nother discussion. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but you go all the way back yet 1940s, all the way through back into the 1800s, they knew how to take care of diabetes when it happened mm. you know so uh after you know after drug companies started kind of coming into play a little bit more after insulin was invented then uh yeah, we saw a big change in policy as far as how to go about treating people with it but there was no type 2 diabetes crises back in those days yeah. because somebody came in and their blood sugar was high so oh, stop eating foods that make your blood sugar go up there you go <laughs> you know, <laughs> pay the nurse on the way out the door see ya you know and that's kind of how it was done but yeah. now it, it just doesn't work that way so I think like in a to bring the point back about doctors and like them kind of prescribing exercise programs and stuff yeah. I've said it before in the podcast I think personal trainers their role become ever more important especially in a world of automation where um, people, I think, will want more of that uh, when everything is, you know, machine-based. People want yeah. more of that one-to-one -one interaction or that small group interaction. Yeah. And I think personal trainers will almost be viewed in the same way that we admire doctors now. Right. Because I think they they will be the bastions of health 
Yeah. And that was to be more like the people that deal with disease and that kind yes. of thing. But right I, I now it gets too right. muddled, you know? I'm hoping you're right. You know, that, but again, I mean, the, the industry needs to pick it up a little bit. You know, if they want to be kind of looked at like as uh, prevention, mm. you know, they need to pick it up in terms of, you know, the knowledge and the execution of it too. You know, I mean, they have to deliver. They have to yeah. be able to get people to apply. I mean, it's still too much. If people come in here all the time, like, oh, I was working with a personal trainer. Okay, well, let's take a look at your nutrition. Okay, well, your mom's diabetic, your dad's diabetic, and your uh, grandma's diabetic, and this guy's got you eating 300 grams of rice five times a day. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, we yeah. can't have trainers like that. Otherwise, no one's ever going to take a trainer seriously. Yeah. You know, so uh, I think ideally, it, in yeah. an ideal world, yeah, trainers can be used as, you know, maintaining health and you know then doctors are there for when things go awry yeah you know so but i'd like to see uh, a few more checks and balances on personal trainers like definitely i think yeah. sometimes it is a bit too easy to go spend 500 pound on a course back home <laughs> and you've got your qualification an online course yeah, and yeah. Yes, i pass the test i'd love to see more like you know uh, similar like you doing with ed like almost apprenticeship type stuff where you actually learn from somebody yeah. to be in the field like 20 years and more and I understand how it's a hard thing to regulate mm. you know it's a uh, in some ways you need the regulation and then in some ways you open yourselves up to corruption when it is regulated you know right. so uh, you know we see it going on out here I mean I don't want to get shot end up in a ditch but you know there's a, a big Asian fitness conference that goes on out here okay so every year now it'll be coming up and it used to be run by somebody else uh but now it's being run by the thai ministry of health uh again i don't know how much to go into it because you know there's certain things in this country that are just kind of run differently yeah but uh if you were to look up the thai ministry of health and who actually makes up the thai ministry of health it's pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies right now they're running the biggest health and fitness convention and now what, what reason would there be to do that other than maybe controlling information you know so you kind of when you allow somebody to regulate there's just there's there's a lot of a lot of in ways for people to to kind of start manipulating the system a little yeah. bit you know for for agendas you know so but again i mean you do need some type of regulation uh and again we were talking earlier about evidence you know how do you know if a trainer is good you know that's that's where you're doing the research and looking at evidence okay if, if this person's going to promise to get your blood sugar down promise to cut your insulin in half promise to be able to get you off of metformin uh if this person can back up what they say they're going to do and you can go interview 20 of their clients that say yeah this is what happened for me okay, well in some ways you know we've taken regulation into our own hands and you know right. we're able to make a good yeah. decision based on it you yeah know? so uh yeah so that's it, it's no, yeah, there's like a very like, big gray yeah. area right there in terms yeah. of regulating the fitness industry how have you said so motivated been in the fitness industry in about well, almost 25 years now about uh, 25 years you know it, it sounds cheesy and it sounds cliche but it's 
it's client results. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, everybody has days where you kind of wake up and it's like, man, I just, I don't feel like going to work today. I mean, you always have that. But uh, when you take somebody's measurements or, you know, you, you see them, they got their pants like all tied up and you take somebody's measurements and uh, they look at their own measurements and they start crying and they can't believe it. And it, I mean, that's, it's motivating. You know, it's like, okay, you know, I like what I do. I like yeah. making people feel like that. You know, Even when you if, see yeah. people who like, you know them on day one they're like oh, I'll never be able to do a push up I'll never be able to do a uh, if, I, if I hear you say can't again I swear I'm coming over there and I'm flicking you in the forehead like oh, no, but I just, I've never been able to do a push up that's just me and then you know two months later they're doing like perfect push ups on the floor and it's like yeah, I thought you said you'll never be able to do a push up <laughs> you know when you see that yeah. and you see them like just kind of change like that then it's like then you don't need to find motivation in, you know, to go to work. It's right. there your motivation. It's like, yeah. okay, so and so is going to be there this morning, you know, uh, you know. And then that, that's also where it's good to kind of control your community as well, because coming in here, you know, some of these people that have been here for years, I mean, they become like family to you, you know. So you you just kind of come in and you're around a bunch of people that you respect and that you like and that you enjoy being around and. Uh, you don't really need that motivation to come in on those days, you know. It's just a, uh, it definitely makes it easier, you know. Mm. So, as a one-on-one personal trainer, uh, I do a lot less of that now, you know. So it's, I know that I'm pretty good at it, you know. Just over the years, you know, I mean, I think there's enough evidence to to show that I'm pretty good at doing that, but. Uh, it is harder to maintain that enthusiasm i think after all these years over and over and over and over again especially as i'm trying to grow this business and stuff like that you know so it's not fair to the clients who are paying me if okay well you can train me after you know you can you know and i get over there and i'm tired and i'm you know and i'm not able to give them what i feel like i should be giving them you know so that's kind of I know where to cut back on, you know, if I want to stay motivated and want to keep that energy, I know like, all right, yeah, I got to cut back on this type of stuff, spend more time on this type of stuff. And, uh, or if there's a client you just don't like, it's, I'm sorry, you know, this really just isn't really working out. I can't do, you know, it's, it's keeping that area that you work in clean. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, Focused. I mean, yeah. Because drive your energy where you want it yeah. to be if, if there's somebody who comes in and they drain your energy down I mean that's the quickest way to lose motivation don't just take clients just because you need money because you'll probably have a short career doing that you know in this industry it's work with people that you enjoy being with or at least people who motivate you in some way or I've uh, I've gotten so much from my clients over the years you know just through our conversations and I mean, that's kind of you know be picky with who you train. I think that's uh, good advice. It's mm. not always easy in the very beginning when you just want, yeah. When you just want clients, you just you know. But is that the advice you would have given to your thirty-year-old self? Yeah, yeah. Be picky with who you train. You know. So, uh, and you know, it's hard to say because you know I realize that my thirty-year-old self has to go through a lot of that stuff to be able to understand it properly. But I mean, looking back on it, like don't be afraid to. To, to 
hold clients to a higher standard than which they hold themselves. Mm. You know, so it's a uh, when you're 30 years old and you're a trainer and you're just kind of you're still kind of a kid in many ways, you know, and you're training, you know, a 62 year old CEO of a company. There is kind of like a where's crossing where's crossing that line where I don't want to you know you're a little bit afraid to get into somebody to hold somebody to a higher standard you know like Mm -hmm. for this and you know now it's different you know now I don't know if a 30 year old can actually do that yet you know it's tough it's a really interesting dynamic I've never thought about that before actually I really like a quote I'm probably going to butcher it but it's hold yourself to a higher standard than no one else than anyone else expects you and be lenient to everyone else but mm. as a personal trainer, you, that's not your job yeah. to be lenient to the people. Not your job to be lenient. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. there's times where leniency is uh, warranted, but you know, as a whole, they didn't hire you to be. Some some people, I guess, do, but uh, they're not hiring you to be lenient. They're hiring you to produce a result. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, and In a way, it's a dichotomy as a personal trainer because to hold yourself to such high standards, you need to not be lenient to, <laughs> right, right. to everyone else. <laughs> it's, it's, it's knowing how to balance that. And I don't know how else to... That's an experience thing. I really do think that's an experience mm-hmm. thing. And like how to go... And that's why I say like I can, I can give that advice to my 30-year-old self, but I don't think he would know how to do that yet. You know, I think that's something that comes yeah. over time of training enough people to... That just kind of know yeah. how to do that. I find and that a lot when I ask that question. Even if I ask it to myself, I think I'd probably be too bullheaded to take my own advice mm. because, you know, if it was something like um, if I was giving myself advice to my 16-year-old self, well, my 16-year-old self had only one goal and everything else, the blinders were on. Like, mm. to give anything advice beyond that, even though my one goal was to be in the Marines at that point, yeah. even though I've gone past that now like to to have given myself advice and it, it wouldn't have mattered because uh, I wouldn't you just have, weren't I ready listened. to accept yeah, that I wasn't mature enough to listen to you know yeah. any anything that was outside those parameters so what do they say when you're ready the teacher will come mm, you know yeah, so yeah. it's it's uh, you know you could teach somebody something but unless they're you know at that stage where they are ready to accept that teaching it doesn't work yeah. you know so and I think that's kind of like how it is and that's uh Again, when it comes to the industry, I mean, maybe that's a major issue with the whole industry in general. Because if you look at the average trainer, it seems like they're about 25, 26 years old. You know, Instagram full of, you know, half naked photos of themselves, you know, like not showing like what they plan on helping people with and things like that. Uh, And, you know, everything's kind of geared around. am I trying to say this or just not being a jerk about everything uh they, they haven't learned enough to understand yet how little that they know mm. you know which then keeps them from going out and trying to learn more you know what I'm saying yeah. I th- I yeah, think, I okay because I'm fit as you can see from my Instagram you know I'm a fit guy so trust me I know what I'm doing you, you know, so, uh, but I, as a 47 year old trainer, if I were to go to them, like, hey, look, 
you know what, if you want to be really good at this and you still want to be doing this 10 years from now, learn this, 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 and this, and this. They're not at that stage. I say they, but I mean, I'm talking about some of them. Some of them would be, but yeah. I mean, a lot of them are not at that stage willing to accept some 47-year-old trainer guy who's, you know, old school or whatever, telling them, hey, do this, do this, do this. You know, again, maybe they're just not ready to to accept that yet. Now, again, I'm, a lot of them are, you know, but I'm saying like, that's, uh, yeah, everybody's different. But, uh, but it is part of the industry that I think it's because the industry in general is still so young that they're not, open to learning you know from people who have been doing it for a long period of time i mean i have found we've had some one of the great things about having ed in here when he was in here is just how open he was to learning i mean the guy is a sponge you know and how much he loved it and you know the the new guy we're talking about hiring right now he's definitely the same way you know it's like all right this is he's somebody who just he cannot get enough you know he just he wants to learn he wants to learn he wants to learn this guy wants to be a trainer 20 years from now he's still going to be a trainer 20 years from now because he has that you know so uh yeah so i mean it's such an important part i think of succeeding in this industry is that wanting to learn but that's part of my issues with a lot of these certifications is it's not certification's fault necessarily but people getting certified and then just thinking that they know enough now that they're an expert they start marketing themselves as an expert and then you know they just spit out the same crap dogma you know that's failed this industry for generations now you know so uh you know it's it's again it it all kind of ties in together you know just going back and standards need to be raised you know so it's hard to do that through regulation so it's like where is the right route over here and it's uh you know people you were saying earlier so saturated you know there's so many trainers and it's funny because i've never looked at it as being saturated when there's so many bad trainers it makes it so easy to succeed (laughs) i can honestly say that's the truth it it really makes the good trainers stand out you know and uh yeah, so yeah, with the crop, right? yeah, yeah, and that's just kind of how Rest it goes, you know. So when people say, "Oh, there's no money in training," there's no money in training. Well, you're doing it wrong, you know. So there's there's plenty of money in training. Look around out there, you know. Yeah. Look at look at all these people out here that want to get fitter. I mean, they're everywhere. If you if you can't find a way in this industry, change what you're doing, you know. So yeah. yeah. Well, I usually end these um, Jeff with. Uh, having you describe what your perfect day would be like so I'll give you a scope to be wherever you want and um, usually people start me off with what time they get up perfect day I'm always up early Uh, you know so usually alarm uh, I don't train five o'clock clients anymore I stop that so uh, but my alarm still usually set for 515 get up perfect day always starts with a coffee hot coffee with some cream and some cinnamon in it uh usually i have some water with some apple cider vinegar while i'm waiting for it just kind of hydrates feels good is the cinnamon for insulin as well uh for insulin yeah, sensitivity yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the same with the apple cider yeah vinegar. and i just love the taste of it at this yeah. point you know <laughs> so i love it uh a perfect perfect day um 
like a non-work day, if I could be anywhere, uh, it would be, you know, have a nice, relaxing uh, morning with my coffee. I would head out to a baseball ballpark. You know, actually, I'd probably, actually, I'd put the work out in the morning. Okay, so yeah. it'd be go outside, have my own gym, like out in the backyard, you know, with the, mm-hmm. just your standard dumbbells and barbells and, you know, stuff like that. Get a, a good huff and puff going on with that. Uh, go back in, shower, have some bacon and eggs, uh, and I head out to a ballpark. Go watch some baseball with some good friends and, yeah. uh, you know, my wife and get her out there. Who's playing the baseball? Much? A's and anybody really. You know, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Oakland A's and uh, I had to watch them go. It, it always nice to watch the Red Sox, watch them play the Red Sox or somebody okay. like that. But uh, yeah, go spend several hours at the ballpark. Uh, you know, just a relaxing, beautiful way to spend the day at the ballpark. Uh, go get a nice steak or a nice hamburger if it's a cheat day type of thing you know so uh and uh, I mean, that makes for a great day right there yeah. you know so that's uh th- those are the kind of days i like it's nothing yeah. like super special i mean there's other days you know you can i think it's just who you're around and what you're doing you know so if i'm because i could easily wake up in the morning to the sound of waves you know at a resort next to a beach and that's also a pretty perfect day you know it's very different than you know that other day but i'm like that could also be made into a perfect day you know so um yeah there's perfect days here even you know coming to work you know so it's a I guess I, you can kind of look at that from a philosophical point. Of, you know, you can always make the day a perfect day. You know, no matter where you're at or what you're doing, you can you can find something to make a perfect day. You know, because I come up with name fifty different perfect days. I'm like, all right, here's <laughs> one. I can go traveling to different archaeological sites around the world. You know, go see Angkor Wat or go to Easter Island or go to Machu Picchu and uh, you know. To me, that would also be a very perfect day, you know. Right. So, like doing stuff like that. And that's. Uh, I don't know if that helps or not, but yeah. You know, <laughs> just interesting. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Love that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. Thank you for being so, so uh, generous with your yeah. time and your stories. Thanks. And, thanks for listening. Um, yeah. yeah, really enjoyed this. That was a great episode. Yeah. Appreciate cool. it. Thanks, man. Yeah. Take care.